Hi and welcome to Charatot2's Climate Podcast. Focusing on developing countries, we hope to cover a range of issues relating to climate change, sustainability, green buildings and many more. Today's guest is Agnimitra Bachchi. Agnimitra graduated from the School of Planning and Architecture in New Delhi. Early in his education, he developed a taste for sustainability when he worked with the Center for Science and Environment on alternative building practices. His fascination for simply beautiful designs took him to Sri Lanka where he worked with prominent Sri Lankan architect Anjalinta in close proximity to Jeffrey Bauer's works to which he attributes much of his design sensibility. Agni is also a graphic designer, part-time comedian, theater enthusiast and co-founder of the Black Box Movement in Delhi. I'm Keeti Manyan and I'll be your host for today. Adhimita, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm going to get started by asking you this. Can you take us through your career arc? And in doing so, do tell us to what or whom would you attribute your design sensibilities? Thank you for having me, first of all. Just to give you a little background, we're, we're a small firm called Maiden Earth. And I can tell you a little bit about how we came to be. We have four of us. There's me, Agni, there's Shruti, Jeremy and Ajinkya. Uh, Shruti and Jeremy got into earth architecture in Oroville Earth Institute, which is also the UNESCO Chair for Earth and Architecture. They also worked in Chenelet Constructions in France, which works around innovating and readapting traditional building techniques. When they returned to India, they worked in Kutch for a while uh, with organizations like Hunarshala and Khamir. Ajinkya, who is the third partner, has also worked in Dust Studio in Oroville for four years. I am relatively younger than the other three, and uh, I'd worked in Center for Science and Environment during my college years, and worked for some time in Sri Lanka. That's where uh, I was thrown open to the world of tropical architecture and sustainability. I came back to Bangalore around 2015, and uh, I dived straight off into a few individual projects of in other constructions right after I got out of college as well. And sometime in 2015-16, I'd meet these three and they had already had the seed of Maiden Earth waiting to take root and yeah Maiden Earth became a collective practice of the four of us our love for earth was I think at the center of everything and the studio even now is driven by our passion and each of our separate strengths and to a large extent our craziness we've all followed very different paths before we met but something became very clear when we started working together that there's nothing else other than sustainable architecture for us. And we had a burning need, I think, to make buildings with natural materials. And we wanted to make them in such a way that they were desirable and accessible to people also. And I think at the center of it all, we believe that sustainability is not just an option anymore. It's become a hard necessity. And having said that, it should also be immensely fun. And I think this is what bound us all together. And we are constantly and continually exploring the infinite possibilities of creating with natural materials. And that's also the central tenet of our design and approach to running this farm. I love it. It sounds brilliant. Like it sounds like an amazing initiative. You've answered in part my second question <laughs> as well. <laughs> Because I was interested in knowing what was the basic premise and 
having sustainability at the core of it all it sounds so amazing can you tell us a little bit more as well and then maybe tell us about a couple of projects that define your company yeah because right, i had already <laughs> answered a bit of it but i think if you have to cut all the frills right and strip it down to its core passions there are two tenets of made in earth i think one is to make earth accessible for all or sustainability as a building practice available for all and the other is to bring earth back into the city and it deals with promoting earth as a viable and pragmatic alternative to a built environment within the city as well i think we look at ourselves as a small community of makers almost we believe in getting to know our materials we're really really i think we're intimately aware of how these materials feel how they behave what they do what they're capable of doing and with every day that goes by it's like we get to know a person better we get to know our materials better having said that we also have to strike a balance between making this a crafty or an artisanal practice and developing methodologies that can be easily adopted in the current building industry to make earth more prevalent as a practice to make earth architecture more more prevalent as a practice i think that's the premise if, if you want to call it that yes right yeah makes sense yeah and you asked about a few projects yes please i think one of the project that comes immediately to mind is is a really small project and one of our first is what we call the cuckoo school project it was actually the project on which i met shruti and jeremy and it, it's actually where the whole journey started for me it was it was a small school that was built in the fringes of the tiruvannamalai forest in tamil nadu and it was supposed to be a small library structure that was to be built for kids from the nearby villages and the nearby communities but the twist was that this whole structure which was an octagon with a dome on top was to be designed and built by a set of 30 volunteers not necessarily architects they came from all walks of life and we got together this is a place without any network or without any phone with no electricity the first day was just you know building huts to provide ourselves shelter <laughs> we used to cook and we spent a good 15 20 days building the structure and i think we forged a lot of connection it was great to be away from the city and at the same time to create something so meaningful for a small community at such a distance from the material that was just laying on site we made around 11000 bricks with which these 30 volunteers were to make the structure so that was one of the most meaningful journeys and one of our first that we shared together so it always has a special place in our hearts but more recently there are, there are projects like samvada college which is a larger much larger community college that is being developed in the outskirts of bangalore and it's still under construction it's something that we are currently extremely excited about because institutional projects are very close to our hearts this is being done in ramdath and several actually it employs more than 2 3 building techniques there is so many that there's renovation we renovated an old bangalore bungalow for a restaurant we've designed an office space for organic certifying company on one hand and on the other hand we've done the same as in we've developed an office for a real estate developer also and we've we've done quite a few houses 
and with each house we've not only built the house i think we've also built relationships with our clients that are going to last as long as the building right right and i think every project is always so punctuated with emotions with learning with sleepless nights whatever you want to name <laughs> yeah becomes hard to even understand where to start talking about them or even where to stop talking about them so there's not one project that stands out because of the building that it is i think there's we hold all our projects so close and so dear to us and your first one sounds amazing like you're literally using your hands to create something that is going to last especially for kids right like to have something that is so meaningful to them that sounds absolutely brilliant and me yes <laughs> and actually there's so many images that are just etched because we are thousand stars in the sky and all the children would come to help if the children started coming to that library before even the library was up right so in that way it was it was a success even before the structure came up <laughs> yeah and that's also where i matched to teach me and eventually I'd meet Ajinkya through them. So I, I don't think there was any other place to meet them than being uh, in two feet, knee deep in mud with our hands muddy and building. Right? <laughs> yeah. It sounds amazing. Can you talk about your specific role at Maidenhurst and tell us more about the Oka House? For our listeners, the Oka House is nominated for Best Architecture Social Impact Projects by the Forbes Design Awards in 2019. So please do tell us more about this. Yes. We are a collective and being a relatively young company our roles are constantly evolving, changing, overlapping and confusing to say the least. <laughs> right. But currently I think we are operating in three overlapping realms. Right. One is the design studio that designs the project and puts out designs and we offer our services as a design consultancy. The other is a part that handles the construction of these design projects and the third is something that we call earthly yours earthly yours deals with artisanal natural finishes what started as like a passion and love for finishing plasters of lime and clay it sort of ended up becoming a full wing of meenath mm. it's currently a full team of artisans and designers and we offer our services to other architects clients and any other building for example who would like to bring natural finishes into their building. So we have a small place that's called the Earth Kitchen where we cook up our plasters, our oxide finishes, our oxide flooring and what not. So I'm mostly taking care of this part of Maidanath. And the Yorka House, well, the Yorka House was a great experience. I was telling you about bringing earth into the city. Yeah. And I think this is the pinnacle of that example because the Yorka House is was a small residence it's a compact three bedroom house residence that was built for our clients and it was built on a 30 40 site like a 30 feet by 40 feet site in a dense urban settlement in vijayanagar in bangalore and this 30 40 site is a very typical size for a compact house at least in bangalore and it's widespread and to bring earth into this small site with no other open areas around was a big challenge one of the easiest ways to work with earth is to make blocks of earth either csvs or compressed stabilized earth blocks or adobes those are sun-dried bricks or just earth blocks that are uh, like concrete blocks but made of earth and aggregate so all of these require some area for you to process your material because 
obviously earth blocks are not so readily available in the market like burnt bricks are yeah so we always thought we would need a certain patch of land where we could produce these blocks try them etc but not having that space to do so in that project made us choose a technique called rammed earth now rammed earth is an in situ technique where the walls are created as a monolithic compressed earth wall so you compress layers of earth one on top of another within shuttering and once you deshutter you have a monolithic wall that is 9 inches thick and is also load bearing and it's already a finished wall in the sense that you do not need plasters or you do not need paint over it so that was the technique that we used wow rounder yeah so since rounder is also load bearing technique all the peripheral walls took the load this is a ground plus two story structure there was only one column in the center and that too it was there only because we did not want 9 inch thick walls within the house because we wanted to economize on space because it was such a small site so we had 4 inch walls inside and one central concrete pillar to take the central load but all the peripheral amdat walls took the load of the building and we've used all natural finishes like some parts that had to be finished were finished with lime plaster with lime wash the exterior was lime washed and we haven't used any plywood in the whole project we've used only hardwood we've used reclaimed wood in the whole in the course of the project we've used traditional flooring techniques what is usually called red oxide or ips indian patent stone and this is one of the first projects that we completed with a very dear contractor of ours and the whole journey was was quite fabulous in the sense that he he discovered a new earth and technique and i think now he's he stands almost as if he's an ambassador of that <laughs> technique from convincing him to telling him that no this earth wall can take the load of two floors to actually making it to train the teams it was it was on help a journey that's all the house for you yeah it's fascinating to hear i think because we're so used to idea of cement and plywood and you know it's typical thing that you associate with urban homes or apartments in that sense right it's fascinating for me to hear that natural materials can just do the job and work really really well it is really an amazing concept actually i think just to add to that it was one of our early projects also and it was one of the projects that it proved to us that earth is is a very viable technique and beat in terms of cost or beat in terms of timelines that it is very comparable to conventional building practices and we're not compromising on anything and it's it's very relative to the current industry that exists in the city and that's what made it like a huge it just showed us that earth is a, has a huge future within the city it just needs the will and the knowledge to just, just go ahead and do it it sounds amazing so covid has affected everybody and everything it feels like in this crazy phase year what kind of challenges has a team faced pre covid times and right now what are things that you kind of dealing with on a day to day basis or even as a big challenge so to speak wow so covid is crazy <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later i guess <laughs> so pre covid generally there are so many aspects to building with natural material as i was saying you need to know your material very intuitively very personally 
and natural materials change from space to space there's no one thumb rule that works everywhere with natural materials so there are challenges from working with clients who probably have never been exposed to such techniques and materials then there are challenges in in finding teams to execute this project and then eventually finding the material to build the buildings itself but in all of this i think primarily we have a very strong belief that one can force a sustainable lifestyle on anybody it has to come from within it has to come from their own learning from their past that that we need to make that shift to a more sustainable lifestyle that is the very first challenge to find the right people to work with to find the people who are in it for the right reasons you know or not there for the tag of it or for the cost or just the aesthetic or it has to be a balance of all of it and i think the first challenge is is to associate with these people to do those works then there are all these small fights that are very usual <laughs> in our industries earth is always associated with a rural typology yeah. as it's, they always think it's like a rustic aesthetic and we're constantly trying to fight that and we're constantly trying to innovate we're trying to engineer to create a certain freshness in the look and to move more towards contemporary expressions then over the years i think we've also seen in terms of materials itself we've seen that the sources of basic materials you know like lime linseed oil are just vanishing they're no longer available in the market and that's mostly because the market has found more convenient and at the same time more energy intensive commercial replacements for each of these there are hundred kinds of primers there are hundred kinds of lacquers so moving away from these readily available and trending solutions that are available out there is quite a challenge to convince somebody to work with something that is more fundamental that's more basic has also been a challenge lastly when it comes to manpower to use these materials and to work on the projects that we've procured we are we are seeing that the last generation of people who worked with natural materials by this time they've already reached their retirement age and they're slowly going out of out of the industry and there's a whole new generation of cement and steel and standardized human resource that's available that is exposed to a lot less and they're more used to working with a very small set of tumblers that work across the industry across the country probably across the world so the loss of that that knowledge base yeah. is also something that we need to constantly fight whereas in a typical project there would be no need to train in our projects when we have to work with natural materials there's a strong component of training there's a strong component of educating the teams as well as the clients to do this there's a huge knowledge exchange there is empowerment involved there have to be active dialogue throughout the whole building process without which there are issues of trust there are issues of execution there are issues of knowledge that we have to constantly keep fighting but at the end of it i think it's always a more rewarding experience than a challenging one i don't think i've ever felt that it's a challenge that i have to talk to my masons and tell them about lime it's always the other way around where i'm like i'm happy that i got to talk about lime to somebody who's willing to listen and is there a willingness among the younger generation because you talked about the older generation kind of saying we are retiring so is there yeah. scope for the younger generation do you think there's hope that they would be interested and want to carry on or is it you're constantly finding yourself training new people all the time i'm just curious to know like 
is there a challenge in that also there is i think see the more we speak the more you dig in you realize that it's a much bigger problem than it what it seems it's not about just educating a person let's talk about masons for example if you were just to educate them on a particular technique and you let them go first of all they're not equipped to find the same kind of work again second i think it's a much more fundamental approach towards a person's aspiration and that comes only through exposure we have to tell them is that no this is really good work and this is much more valuable than the other work that you do and this is skill and this is knowledge and this is sought out currently in the industry and we will or we will try to make avenues available for you to grow in this right yeah to a lot of the workforce that is available right now there is no scope for growth like you you become from a help we become mason and that's the end of it but i think it it rests on some of us to sort of find avenues to show them a scope for growth and and only then will they aspire to become more i don't think there's anybody who's opposed to that idea you know very fundamentally everybody wants to grow everybody wants to be more comfortable and everybody wants to be more knowledgeable it is just finding the right setting and the right space to make them realize that and what about covid how are you guys dealing with with situation like this i mean in our living history for all of us it's something so novel and how do you deal with it when you're figuring out how do you train people how do you keep the momentum going really oh i mean i'd be lying if i said that everything is fine and we're keeping it going at full swing but i think we closed down the office a couple of weeks before the national lockdown happened here right and what started off as a i think i took a walk with jeremy in the park and i said hey let's just talk about how we're going to run the next week or so <laughs> you know that that was the time frame that we had in mind yes a couple of weeks we'll work from home of course this can happen and that little conversation would then become a whole protocol as to how to work from home and now i'm sitting at home and it's been 6 7 months since i saw the face of all my teammates <laughs> right? <laughs> right so of course it's turned our world upside down a lot we depend a lot on the internet on communication and this still i think we're still trying to figure out how to go about it some of the sites um, sort of restarted right it, it works in a way that the teams are isolated unto themselves like each team works on a building site by themselves yeah Yeah I mean these are all pragmatic practical solutions that we have to find on the spot and that's how it's going the only thing is just to keep your chin up and we're constantly trying to adapt to every new thing with new schedules we have to find new fun ways of still feeling like a team that is connected talking to our site engineers to ensuring that even when we do go on site visits we somehow use laser pointers to point instead of going close to the team you know i mean i can keep going on or oh, there are hundreds of problems but we just have to get past them with a smile and a wink i guess <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely i agree i think covid has thrown all of us into a tizzy and we just finding new ways of adapting and say okay what's the best way to kind of move forward in that sense right and it's not just in the operational front several of our projects say for example the fnb projects which were the restaurants and we were designing a, a brewery there there have been very fundamental requestioning of the kind of spaces that we need to design there's been a whole pause and a rethink of how we imagine spaces in the future yeah 
and it's such an unsure realm you know i would be lying if i said we are completely confident that large gatherings are not a good idea we might in a few months feel stupid that oh the cure is out and covid is no more and yeah so it's either that way or this and we're really stuck in between but it was such a good opportunity to pause reflect and even ask okay so are we changing the way we live for the first two months it was just resilience yeah but after that it raised important questions of okay what do these things mean what do my social ties mean what does my time with my teammates mean what does this building mean right now what does this public space mean right now so i think in that way while it's been a little challenging it's also offered innumerable insights even for the running of the company and to the work that we do and yeah to be very honest we're still mulling over these thoughts and they're still being processed one thing we've learned is yeah we absolutely need to pause and reflect and there's that was something that became very clear and very soon also that we really need to pause and reflect which goes very well into my next question right you talk about the construction sector they tend to be responsible for a major share of the emissions now i read somewhere that the cement industry dumps more than 2 billion tons of carbon into the air each year which sounds just <laughs> insanely crazy to me yeah i mean you're talking about how crucial do you think your work is then in negating the effects of emissions and the like and would you describe your work as carbon neutral actually from 2 billion it's it's risen to 2.8 billion tons of emissions oh my gosh and if you were to imagine the cement industry as a country it would be the third largest carbon dioxide emitter in the world wow after us and china yeah and there's also this other caricature which is every 10 seconds like almost 19000 bathtubs of concrete is being poured somewhere across the world right so there are so many caricatures like this that are floating around these tidbits of facts yeah the un is also trying to promote it the newspapers every everybody's talking about it and each is an attempt to sort of make it real in people's minds right it's trying to tell them that hey listen i'm going to paint this picture where i'm going to take something that you know of and compare it to what is happening in terms of emissions there's this book by ilka and andreas ruby right and it's called the material book they say that we want to believe what we see it's really easy to see a structure rather than the consequence that it has we don't see emissions right yeah and so consequently warnings about the risks posed by something invisible it's not very compelling we're already standing on a very thin arch environmentally and the worst thing is we may be able to only see the collapse of it yeah absolutely i agree and so that's what makes it really hard for people to just understand what 2 billion tons of carbon dioxide emission means so when you say how crucial do you think this work is i would rather say we're already in a situation that we need to ask how do we negate the effects of this emission rather than how crucial it is i think we are way past that it's extremely crucial there is no two doubts about it so when it comes to our work um, i should say that look if you actually look at it in terms of numbers we might be a tiny speck in the huge ocean right mm-hmm. and it might not statistically seem like it matters 
But the fact that we may have answered one of the many how questions as to how to solve this problem and the fact that we've given people a choice, at least the people around us, a choice, a choice in a way that one approaches a built environment as an alternative, right? I think at the end of the day, everybody will be faced with choices. Every day, people are faced with choices, big, small, and each choice that we make is either one step away or one step towards a more sustainable. So the more exposure the kind of work that we are doing gets, and the more we are able to show that this is a viable alternative, the more steps we are taking towards that sustainable future. So when you're talking about sustainability becoming a necessity, is there a demand for LEED like Indian system which can be adopted? For those of you who don't know, LEED is Leadership in Environmental Design, and this is a green building certification program which is used worldwide. Is there something similar in the Indian system which can be adopted and should be adopted for that matter? Yeah, there's LEED and other accreditation systems like Griha that are available here. And we do work with them whenever our clients are open to it. See, the thing about accreditations and labels developed as a means to assess the impact of a building and they try to promote a more sustainable approach to design, construction, even maintenance, demolition and other practices. Yeah. Right? They are, of course, the very good steps in the direction of sustainability. And the more accredited buildings there are, it will definitely have a positive bearing for the environment, to our cities and ultimately to all the people. But one could argue that given the ecological crisis that our country or even the world at large is facing already, so currently they're being used as voluntary marketing tools. Correct. And instead, we feel that it could even be used as policies and as part of law that applies to all future constructions. Right. The question becomes whether just a voluntary marketing tool is enough to make a change. Should it move from a voluntary tool towards becoming more grounded in policy and law? That is the question that one needs to have. Apart from that, there are also philosophical debates around these criteria. For example, should we consider a building with a glass facade and aluminum shading louvers as eco-friendly? Just because it's consuming less energy for air conditioning compared to a glass building without these lures does not make it eco-friendly, right? Yeah. It's a comparison still. Less bad is not good, yeah. basically. <laughs> so these are conversations and debates that one needs to constantly have and all the shareholders in the construction industry need to constantly have. And this continuing debate will reset that criteria time and again. The crisis is constantly evolving and it is a dynamic catastrophe if I have to call it that yeah you said dynamic catastrophe I immediately think of like this thing that's constantly changing and it's causing chaos right <laughs> yeah I think personally at least I'm of the firm belief that just because we are not able to see it we're not able to experience it at an individual scale yeah I think it's already quite late and I know it sounds dire I know it sounds hopeless <laughs> but it's it's actually not, and it's actually the counterpoint of what I'm trying to say. It is, it's time that we energize ourselves, it's time that we get up, join hands, stand shoulder to shoulder, and just get this done with, you know, and just do. Yeah. So in this context, we talk about doing. How can green design practices be adopted in office buildings that air conditioning, IT paraphernalia, 
how do we make that balance happen right actually what you said in the end the last two words how do you make that balance happen i think that's the crux of that question because the thing that makes sustainable practices a little bit more inconvenient than those readily available commercial answers that are out there there is no magic formula that works everywhere it requires a careful considered approach to the whole design of the whole building it's not necessarily just the implementation of ready to fix systems that are out there it's not just an aggregate of invented systems out there having said that it's also important to recognize that those systems exist for a reason see concrete steel or air conditioning is not bad like air conditioning is quite literally a miracle right <laughs> and concrete too is quite a miracle let's give credit to where it's due right it's an amazing material so you asked about it paraphernalia like it infrastructure like server rooms have to be humidity free they need to be kept at a certain optimal temperatures and air conditioners are great for that but we need the whole building to be at a freezing 18 degrees through the year right yeah this is where choice comes in i keep saying choice because of this that for each aspect of design for each space for each building there's a choice where to shade where to let in the light how to ventilate which passive cooling technologies to use where to compromise you know and where not to compromise i think it's the sum of all of these choices that makes it a green design practice and not just small components of it you can't judge each single component and say whether that's a green design practice or not once you take the whole building into consideration and you add all of these choices that you've made and then you will realize whether you've made a green building or not sometimes i think it's like this chapa right like just saying we've done it and it might just exactly that right? it's what you're saying it's looking at the whole thing from a higher point of view and saying yes it's possible for the whole building not just picking and choosing and saying yeah we've done this so we're sorted now you know it's green as can be exactly and that is the problem with blanket approaches to anything like how the world is waking up to racism right now right <laughs> like yeah. you can't brand a whole typology of something as a thing or give it a stereotype it's the same with buildings you, there is no green typology the typology is only there because it evolves from ground up from the very existential design questioning from the very fundamental of the idea of the building to what it wants to achieve to why it even is there yeah and so in keeping this in mind what kind of narrative is being presented by the media about sustainable architecture and does more work need to be done i think a lot to do with this is what we just discussed yeah that's from what i personally noticed there's a shift in the tone for sustainability for both the good and bad i think the good is that it's become a word that everybody knows yeah now everybody's talking about green sustainable eco friendly but subtly and this is my personal opinion is that there seems to be a shift in a way that there's a huge onus on the consumer to become more responsible towards climate change and the industry is placing an onus on the consumer to sustainably consume yeah. right so the general trend is that sustainable architecture is featured as a product and as a new must have everybody needs a sustainable building if you're going for a building make it sustainable 
And as a result of that, the market is now flooded with what you call green products. There's now the risk of sustainability just becoming another tag that the consumer is guilted towards getting. Yeah. And at the same time, satisfying himself or herself also that, yes, I have a green tag on my product and I'm good to go. Yeah. You know, anything to not have my hands in killing those dolphins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the larger problem. I think sustainable architecture is a small part of this larger sustainability discussion to be had. Somehow I wish that more people would be equipped to talk about sustainability more as a lifestyle rather than a product. I think more people need to engage in conversations about policies, about anything from the ban of plastic, about mining, land use, dams, policies for large corporations and conglomerates, whatever it is, you know, there are so many things. I just wish that everybody was equipped to have these conversations because these are the real issues that need public participation. I'm not negating the whole movement towards sustainable consumption. Yes, that too adds up. But I think this has a much larger scale of impact. And I think the media too has a very critical role in highlighting these as serious and troublesome issues. And more, they have a role in encouraging discussions and discourse within the public rather than just productifying it or making it seem as, yes, you just need to look for the solution. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to ask you a personal question. Do you have heroes you look up to in the sustainable architecture movement? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the practice is, is relatively so small currently, as in modern sustainable practices, yeah. specifically in building, is compared to the general industry is quite small. And in the realm of earth construction, we are standing on the backs of giants, right? There's been a lot of work that has gone into develop alternative building practices over the last few decades. From Orville Earth Institute, that's near Pondicherry, even IISC in Bangalore, Hunashala in Gujarat, development alternatives. There are so many and all of them have paved the way for us to confidently adopt so many building techniques and methodologies because they've documented, they've studied, there's so much research out there. And there's also the legacy of a long line of architects, like Hassan Fateh in his works near Egypt, Bili Doshi in India, Laurie Baker, exceptional contemporary architects like Anna Haringer. The list can just go on. I can just keep talking about people. <laughs> but I think especially in the age of the internet and social media, right? Inspiration is all around us. Yeah. The idea of a singular hero is looking up to one person and following the foot, on the footprints of those, I think there's a certain movement now that is moving past this in the sense that there are a lot of people in India and everywhere who are just pushing the boundaries. And we can see this in food, in healthcare, in clothing, energy, buildings, even beauty, everything, right? There's a whole movement of young people who are pushing the boundaries of what sustainability means for each of these sectors. And it just feels great to feel a part of this generation, a part of this movement that is really taking inspiration from the past, they're taking inspiration from each other, they're questioning the present and sort of thinking and working for a better future. And I think that's the biggest drive that we have 
to be really honest it might sound really small but just your instagram feed is it's such a powerful tool in inspiring each other and to draw uh, examples from all across the world from just individual people who are just doing their bathroom pastas somewhere in england to people who are constructing huge skyscrapers in wood right so yeah i think that's where we take our inspiration and that's what we look up to like all our contemporaries who are doing mind blowing and boundary pushing work at this time i'm sure in the next few decades we're going to hear about you guys and you guys will be the giants really speaking as far to find <laughs> yeah for me it's been a really a revelation right to hear about it's not just about concrete it's not just about cement right you can do different right and the work that you are doing is pushing the boundaries and forcing and it should really force people to rethink the way that they are living in their homes and apartments and what more can they do which brings me to my next question and my last question really to you is what would your call of action be to our listeners what should they be doing you've talked about it in bits and parts you talked about plastic you talked about sustainable lifestyle but what is your call of action to our listeners i think right now it all boils down to one thing which is to conserve our biodiversity right and i think this can only be achieved if you're proactively engaging in nurturing and adding to the green environment this is the larger picture in terms of architecture this directly means we need to question what we build how much we build and whether even we build it at all buckminster fuller his kid said doing more and more with less and less until eventually you can do everything with nothing like that should sort of become <laughs> the motto and i understand it's very ironic for me as an architect to be speaking like this to say you should question what you build or question whether we build at all but the fact to digest at this moment is that the construction industry is always several steps ahead of the need there is an excessive volume of construction going on and at great speed right it's happening at a pace that's never before seen any vision of green architecture environment friendly close to nature regardless of where the building lands is eventually taking away from our natural resource however sustainable your building is it's still having an impact there is no such thing as a no impact building so our natural resources are already very feeble and we should really question the why to build first right the first question to ask is why build at all why are we building this and the second is okay fine if we have to how much do we really need to build and then the third and last is fine okay then we now having figured out how much to build then we can come to okay how do we build this i think that would be it to question the why the how much and the how to build and with why being the very first question to any choice that you make that would be my uh, call to action if you want to call that Thank you so much Agnya it's been a wonderful conversation i've learned so much i mean I, i think our listeners would have to because it's such a fascinating subject in that sense to hear about how you can sustainably build and the work that you guys are doing i think medina is doing sounds really really like amazing so i'm wishing you guys the best of luck and i really really hope you know three decades from now you guys are like way way there we <laughs> see your work needs to be celebrated as much as possible really thank you so much for having me 
it's been great answering your questions also <laughs> and every time we speak it's like another moment to introspect because i've just said all of these things out loud and i have to go do something about it so. <laughs> always a good yeah. idea always a good idea